Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. But I still have a picture of him in his genius hat. <laughs> Enjoy your Bible conversation. It's going to be fun, I think, I hope. If they'll wake up a little bit and jump in. All right. Father, thank you for this dreary gray day. Lord, uh, I know, because I know you, I know that you have good things for us today. Your word promises us that there is new mercy available to us every morning. And it's morning. So we press in to the promise of new mercies for today. Uh, your loving kindness endures forever. So we are excited about that. Lord, as we open up your word and explore uh, and and learn and listen and question and think and discuss. Be present. Lord, if I say anything that's not of you, Lord, I pray it would just wash right out of our minds, mine included. Uh, but I ask that you would take the weak words that I am about to say and inhabit them and move within us, plant the imperishable seed deeply within us that it might burst forth from us in a harvest of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, you promised us that if we would listen to your words and then put them into practice, that we would be like a house built on the rock and not even the worst storm would be able to knock us down, that we would stand firm. So, Lord, we're here to hear you and we're here to be transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, um, you know, I saw you a few weeks ago, but I'm Josh. Uh, I am... A, the pastor of Fremont Community Church, you got to come up and hang out at my church for a day. That was fun. Um, and, uh, and I am a former pastor at First Assembly of God Church. I was on staff here for seven years, six of those as a youth pastor, and one of those as discipleship pastor, what you would call growth track. Uh, it uh, began with me. Um, and then Pastor Rob took it and made it better, lots better. <laughs> That's good. Um, and, uh, and my father was the pastor here 
for 42 years. Um, from 19, he began as youth pastor slash uh, janitor in 1978, and I followed thereafter. And uh, he retired. Um, so it's not been two years yet, but almost. Is now pastor emeritus of First Assembly of God in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, yeah, Ron Hawkins. Uh, you may or may not have heard him speak. I don't know how often he still preaches here. I don't know. I have no idea. I, obviously, I'm paying a lot of attention. I'm busy on Sundays, you know? All right, so where should we begin? I have stuff prepared, but I always want to stay open. Um, you know, sometimes the Holy Ghost just steps in. I don't remember. Last year we had a couple ministry times, right? Didn't we? Where the Holy Spirit just dropped in and started doing stuff, right? What was that laugh about? Last year we just heard a lot of stuff. We did. That's very true. Yeah. We really spent almost the entire year in the Sermon on the Mount, though. Um, yeah, in the last couple of weeks we had to hurry up to get through the rest of it. Right. And after I said we were going to go to Sermon on the Mount, and I heard the second years all go, again? I started praying about it to see, Lord, what is there some other direction you want us to go? So I am preparing, I have prepared to begin First Timothy this morning. Uh, and we will go verse by verse through First Timothy, unless the Spirit leads elsewhere. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm always ready to go to the Sermon on the Mount. Always, always, always ready. Um, but as I prayed about it, this is the direction I felt led. And maybe we'll get end up back at the Sermon on the Mount. You never know. I have not heard whether or not we're doing any Enneagram talk this year. Do you know? Well, it would just be for first years. It wouldn't be for you second years. Um, I really don't. I mean, I'm I'm here for it if if uh, so, but but not if no no. I'm an Enneagram super fan, so um, <laughs> that is my. Uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert because I'm not, but I enjoy it very much. What? I'm not a five. That's right. So I, I, I'm not an expert in anything. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we already prayed. So uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If there is nothing else to say or to, to uh, no comments, no questions, no. I'm here. Uh, I, I love, like, talking about difficult biblical subjects. I love, let's you know, pursuing... Um, I love questions that would embarrass people um, or that are embarrassing to you. Those are some of my favorite questions to talk about. So I'm going to put it out there that at the beginning of every class, you are welcome to bring any question you have. I don't know that I'll have answers, but I'll have response. Um, so, you know, and if I don't know, I'll just tell you, I don't know. Uh, but I can, I, I'll go study on it. Um, like I said, this Bible study is for you. So uh, I want you to make good use of it, right? Okay. First Timothy. All right, before we begin reading, 
uh, one, of my, one of my goals this class always is I, I, not only do I want to study the Bible with you, but I want to help you to learn how to do There is a right way and a wrong way to do that. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it's very important for followers of Jesus to know how to use this book that we have been given to know how to read it well, to know how to interpret it well. Because the Bible is inspired, my friends. All scripture is God-breathed, we're told. By Paul in the letter to Timothy, we are told all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, etc. Right? Are you with me? Yeah. Um but not all but but i would i would warn you that not all interpretation of scripture is god breathed okay we will agree on on the bible yes amen but you and i may not agree on the interpretation of that bible and that's okay we can still call each other family and friends we're still we still love each other even if i interpret the bible one way and you interpret the bible another and in fact in this class i will probably purposefully take up a contrary position to yours even if i agree with you just because i want you to question your interpretation i don't want you to question the bible the bible's great but i want you to i do want you to question how you're reading particular scriptures i want you to think more deeply about the way that you're reading scripture. I want you to think more deeply about the, the, the lens that you use. I forgot to bring. I was going to bring uh, my, my blue blocker sunglasses. Anybody know about blue blockers? Anybody? No? Oh, it's very sad for me. Okay, so back in the late 80s, early 90s. I know, the Stone Age, right? Okay. There were, there were these glasses that were sold. And I don't does this even happen anymore? Like where there's... On to because I don't watch TV really. I watch like Netflix and stuff, but I don't really watch TV. But there were these commercials where you could buy like specific things, and it was like just call one eight hundred blah blah blah. You know, yeah, kinda. Um, uh, but and the, there were these glasses called blue blockers, and the idea was, and now you guys have, you know, blue light blocking glasses, which is really kind of the same idea. But these were actually sunglasses. And they, did, and they did block blue light. And I love them. They're my favorite kind of sunglasses to wear. Um, I still wear them. I don't wear the ugly, gigantic ones that were in those infomercials. But I do still wear blue light blocking glasses. Because they're awesome. But when you put them on, the whole world changes colors. Because l literally almost all blue light has is stopped at those lenses. So anything blue becomes black or gray. Red just looks weird. Uh, it, everything changes colors. And it's because of the glasses that you put on. And if you wear glasses long enough, you, you kind of forget you're wearing them. Does that make sense? You forget you're wearing glasses. Any, any glasses wearers in here? Okay. Or, or contact lenses. You wear them long enough, you forget they're on your face. In fact, you know, how many times have people been like, where's my glasses? Oh, right? <clears throat> that has happened. I don't know if it's happened to any of you, but it has happened. All of us view the world through a paradigm. We, that's, that's, we see the world through 
our experiences, through the way that our parents think about the world, the way that our church thinks about the world, the way that our, uh, you know, our, our Midwestern cultural ethic sees the world. We are all, the way we view the world is shaped by the, the people and places we grew up and the things that we have come to understand. And that's true about how we read the Bible also. We have glasses through which we read the scriptures. That's, we will refer to those glasses as paradigms, okay? And the, the issue with that, that's fine. There's no way to get around that. That's how human perception works. But being aware of your glasses is very important because we are moderns or postmoderns. Anybody know what that means? We'll move on. Yeah, okay. We are West, we have a Western mindset. So if none of these things mean anything to you, don't worry, we'll, we'll learn more about them as we move forward, okay? We are also Americans. And there's great things about being Americans, and there's terrible things about being Americans. We're going to talk about that quite a lot in this class because the people that wrote the Bible were not Western, they were not modern, and they were most definitely not American. They viewed the world through glasses too, but they were glasses that were very different than ours. So when they wrote the scriptures, they wrote the scriptures from and through that lens. Now you will say, but the scripture is inspired. And I will say, that's correct. It is. That does not mean that the human vessel through which the scripture comes has no effect upon the scripture as it comes. God uses his, used his people. The Bible is the gift of God, from God through the church to the church. And that is hard for us to think about sometimes. But the Bible is a deeply divine and human book. We see the inspiration of the Holy Spirit shining through all of it, but it, is, it was human hands that wrote it, human hands that edited it, and human hands that translated it from the original languages to English, because it wasn't written in English either. It was written in the Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament in Greek. And so anytime you translate from one language to another, there are things that are lost in translation, things that don't quite work. We don't really have an English word. I heard a, I was listening to a sermon this morning. In fact, I put it out on Facebook. Hey, if you want to hear a great sermon, here it is. I put that out this morning because it was really good. And, and, and the name of the sermon was the human telos. Anybody know that word? Telos. What does it mean? Well, you're close, because they're related. Those two words are related. Telos means the end for which something was created. Okay? And so for it to fulfill its end is teleos, right? So they're very, those two words are connected to each other. Way to go, man. All right? So both of them Greek words, all right? And we think about teleological, we are still talking about the purpose for which something was created. If it's 
if I'm having a teleological discussion with you, I'm having a discussion with you about why this thing exists at how it exists. Okay, let's take this wonderful thing I have in front of me right now that apparently has been sitting here for a while. Okay? What's the telos of this object? Why does it exist? What is what exists? This that I have in my fingers right here. You mean like the whole thing? Why does it exist? Yeah. For um, easy access for ch church members to take communion. Okay, exactly. Uh, but there's more to it than that. And it, the form, <laughs> well, well, the form follows the function. Okay? Here's the problem we had. There's a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. But we still need to take communion. So what we need is communion in a form that doesn't have to be necessarily touched so much by human hands. And if we're going to do that, it's going to need to last a while. And if we're going to do that, it will be better and more convenient if, if, if bread and cup were in one convenient place. So all of those needs form to tell us. This is what we need. We, these are the needs. We need a, an object which can deliver communion that is imperishable, right? It has a long shelf life, okay? And that can be handed, that can be handed out in one, at one moment. So I don't have to hand you a drink and then hand you a cup, right? And then then... You don't have to, I don't have to touch the thing that's going to go in your mouth. Does that make sense? Yes. That's why this thing was created, and its telos is the reason for its form. Its function is the reason for its form. Does that make sense? Do we have an English word that encapsulates that meaning, telos, very well? We could say purpose, but that doesn't quite say it all. Because telos isn't just purpose, but it's also the, the, the thing that forms telos is both beginning and end. Your telos is why you are the way you are, and it is what you're headed for. The telos of a hammer is why it has one end that's heavier than the other, that's durable and can be smacked into things, that is flat so that it doesn't... Does this make sense? That's telos. All of that in one word. We don't have an English word for that. We have to use sentences to describe that English word, right? This is yes, this is no, and this is I don't understand. If you don't understand, please talk to me. Does this make sense? Yes. Good. That's why we just revert back to the Greek word and just say telos, because there's not an English word for that. But when, you're, when you are translating the Bible, they can't just say telos, even though that, because that would be an incomplete translation, and most English speakers don't know the word telos. So they had to come up with a word or a phrase or a word picture that would replace the word telos. And it may or may not do that very well. Does that make sense? So we've got lots of layers of things to go through to find out what God is trying to say to us. And we still may end up wrong. But that's okay. Because 
Jesus is where our trust is, not in our interpretation of Scripture. Can I say that to you? Jesus exists outside of your understanding of him. Which is very good, because if he only existed inside your understanding of him, you'd be in really big trouble. Jesus exists on his own outside of our understanding of his being, his nature, his purpose. Jesus is Jesus. We're trying to find our way into seeing him better and understanding him better and cooperating with what he's trying to do in our lives. Right? And our trust is in the Jesus that exists outside of my understanding of him. That, he, that is the one who is my savior. That is the one who saves my soul. And my faith is in him, not in my interpretation of the words that were written about him. Does that all make sense? Okay. The way that I say this to my church on a regular basis sometimes rattles people's cages, but it goes like this. Jesus is the word of God. This is the scripture. Are you with me? Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Jesus is perfect theology. The Bible are the wonderful Holy Spirit-inspired texts which teach us about him. Yeah. Go ahead. What do you mean by Jesus is perfect theology? Because I've heard that in a couple different contexts. That is a way of, I am interpreting John 1. Okay, where John, the beloved, says, in the beginning was the word. word. That word in Greek Do you know what it is? The Logos. And that word means what God has to say about himself. Okay? Now, we would not say that, you know, Jesus is himself God, and John says that. If John just said Jesus is the Logos, then we could see Jesus as less than God, but John doesn't just say that. John says the word was with God and the word was. The Logos was God. So this is God in self-expression, in such perfection that it stands forth as God again. Okay? Now, that I'm quoting Jonathan Edwards. You can go, go read Jonathan Edwards' unpublished essay on the Trinity and have fun as your nose bleeds. It's beautiful. Um, I love it. I really do. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, one of my favorite things. But, okay, that's the idea. That Jesus is God and what God has to say about God is contained within him. The way that we, that we hear it in other places in the New Testament is Jesus is the image, Greek word, icon of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We're also told that Jesus is the exact representation of, his na- of God's nature and that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt within him. So I am a thoroughly Trinitarian person, which is why I say Jesus is the word, the Logos. This is the Bible. I'm not denigrating the Bible at all. I'm just exalting Jesus. Okay, the Bible stays right where it should. 
But Jesus is higher than that. Bigger than that. And more than that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, believing that, we also have to believe this. That if we are interpreting the Bible in such a way that our interpretation does not look like Jesus as revealed in the scripture, then we have interpreted incorrectly. Jesus is our true interpretive lens. Jesus is the glasses we put on as we read the scriptures to see who God is. We don't say, this is what God is like, and put that on Jesus. No. No. We look at Jesus and we say, that is what God is like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And often we do the opposite. Often we, often we start with an idea about God and then we apply that to Jesus. Well, if that's true about God, it's obviously true about Jesus. But the whole reason, well, one of the whole reasons Jesus came was to perfectly reveal the Father to us. We know that because Jesus himself told us that in the book of John and because the book of Hebrews tells us that that's what he's, he and other places as well. Jesus came to show us who God is, what God is like in perfection. Jesus is the, the final and fullest revelation of who God is. So we go to Jesus first and what we see in Jesus, we will see in God because, and that's what Jesus told us, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember? So our test of interpretation has to be that. Our test, our test of interpretation has to be, wait a minute, is this that I'm seeing back here, does that look like Jesus revealed in the New Testament? And if it doesn't, then my interpretation of this is wrong. That's going to land us in a whole lot of trouble in different places, my friends. But that's okay. It's good trouble. It's good trouble. All right. First Timothy. <laughs> uh, anybody having fun? I'm having fun. Anybody else having fun? I'm so glad. <laughs> the second years are all going, yep, this is, this is it right here. That's what we do. First years, how you feeling? Is everybody Okay. You sure? All right. Deep breath, everybody. Okay. All right. Again, we need to understand before we actually even read any of the scripture, we need to understand what we're reading. Okay. So who wrote this letter? Paul. Now, my friends, there are some scholars who would tell you Paul did not write this letter. I know it says right in the first line that Paul wrote the letter. But there was a history in the Old Testament. And I don't agree with them, by the way. I, don't, I really think Paul wrote the letter. But there are scholars in the last couple hundred years that have said, I don't know. I don't know if Paul wrote this letter or not. Now, the early church, without exception, says Paul wrote the letter. There ain't anybody that lived close to Paul that said Paul didn't write the letter. But there are know-it-alls nowadays who read it and say, you know, this letter doesn't read like Paul's other letter. And not only that, I don't know how well some of the stuff he talks about aligns with uh, what we know about Paul's ministry in the, in, in the, from the book of Acts. Oh, and some of the theology seems a little bit weird in comparison to some of Paul's other letters. 
So for all of those reasons, they have decided that this was later scholars who are writing big word of the day. Are you ready? As if there haven't been any already. Pseudepigraphy. Yes. Okay. There was a, there was something that happened back in the day, for instance, like with, <laughs> like with, uh, uh, like with the book of Enoch. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Suda. I'm trying to, now. Pseudepigraphy. Pseudepigraphy. Yes. All right. That means I am writing, I, I am not Paul, but I'm writing in the style of Paul in Paul's name. But I'm not Paul. Okay? Yeah. And the Gospel of Peter and multiple others. Okay? There were, this was a thing that people did back then. They wrote things. And they, in, in someone else's name, saying, I'm taking on their style. And because of that, I'm going to put that it was that person that wrote it. But, but everybody reading it knows that it wasn't actually them that wrote it. Which isn't that weird. It isn't that weird, honestly. If you think about, like, there's a lot of stuff written today, like, when, when you read a, a, a fiction novel, right? And, and like, um, in the novel, like, for instance, right now, uh, I'm reading the Anne of Green Gables books with my daughter, okay? Wonderful books. Wonderful. All right? And Anne of Green Gables is a series of novels from the early early 1900s. And yes. The early 1900s? Yeah. Is it like modern English or? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was written, the last novel takes place during World War One. so. Um. It's wonderful. Lucy Maud Montgomery, although the, she, is, she is quite, man, you're going to want to skip over some of her descriptions of like the sunset and stuff because they're like a page long. And you're just like, Lucy, come on, let's go. But anyway, so, but there's like diary entries in the book, right? It's Anne's diary and Anne is writing a diary entry. Well, Lucy Maud Montgomery was writing in the voice of Anne. Now, I know that it's not really Anne. Anne didn't exist, right? But, the, but, but she's writing in the voice of Anne, and I appreciate that. So she's writing pseudepigraphy. Okay. <laughs> that used to happen a lot, okay? Uh, the Book of Enoch is one of those where these people wrote in the voice of Enoch, uh, and it became this really popular book, which does not belong in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> okay. I don't agree with that, but I wanted to throw it out there so you, so you would know that there are some scholars that don't think Paul wrote this book. I don't agree. I think he did. I, um, uh, and, I, and I think these books were written after his... I, see, Paul was... At the end of Acts, we leave Paul imprisoned in Rome. That's where we leave him at the end of the book of Acts. But most church historians would tell you Paul got released for about five years. At, he was in Rome for a while, and then he was released for a while. Okay, and this letter and the second letter to Timothy and Titus were all considered to be written during that five years where he went back and kind of visited some of the churches that he had been at before. Okay, and that's that's what we think. We're not sure because we don't really know. Luke stopped writing Acts with Paul in prison and we know Paul died in Rome. uh, But but that was a long time after 
was like, there's like seven years there unaccounted for. And we think Paul actually got out and was able to travel some more. And then during Nero's persecution of the church was captured again and then killed. All right. Um, And that's when Paul is writing. Paul understands that he's coming to the end of his life, whether that's prophetically or not. He gets it. He knows. And so he has begun to hone in on his legacy and his legacy are these young men that he's left to pastor these churches that he planted. Timothy being one and Titus being another and others that we probably don't have, but he probably wrote other letters as well that weren't passed down to us. Um, Paul is now investing in the next generation because he knows his time is short. So he is just making sure those guys are good. And that is what this letter is about. Paul is encouraging Timothy. And not only that, but Paul is, he's got Timothy's back. Okay? This letter was to Timothy, but it was meant to be read to the whole church at Ephesus. And this is Paul's letter of like, hey, church at Ephesus, this is my boy. You need to listen to him. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is Paul standing standing up behind Timothy going, he knows what he's talking about, and he is in charge. So listen to him. I know he's young, but he is in charge. It was the handoff of authority, which is why Paul over and over again in this letter says things like, you're my true son in the faith. You are, you, you know the scriptures well. Paul is not just encouraging Timothy, although that is happening, but Paul is also kind of side-eyeing the church at Ephesus going, listen, this is the guy. You need to pay attention to him. Has anybody ever seen The Godfather? I weep for this generation. Um, okay, in the movie The Godfather, if you haven't seen it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. In the movie The Godfather, Marlon Brando is the Don. He's in charge of the mafia. He's the Godfather. Right, But he's getting really old, and his son Michael is going to be the next Don. And there's a scene near the end of the movie where Michael's making some moves, and not everybody's happy about him. Uh, The Godfather's still alive, but he is now, he's kind of stepped down a bit, and he's given the leadership of the mafia over to his son Michael. And when the guys start complaining to him about Michael, he says, Michael has my trust, and you need to listen to him. Michael knows what he's doing, and not only that, I'm advising him, and it's going to be okay. And that gave Michael the leadership capital he needed to make the move to become the leader. And that's what I'm thinking of Paul as Marlon Brando is like, listen to my boy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's what's going on here. He's like, he has all my trust, right? That's what's going on, all right? So that was the worst Marlon Brando impression ever. Please forgive me. Um, Let's. Well, (laughs) you don't know who Marlon Brando is? Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus, please help us all. Anybody ever seen the movie A Streetcar Named Desire? Don't tell me no. 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 Stella! Anybody? Come on. All right. <clears throat> Never mind. Um, the original Superman film with Christopher Reeve. Marlon Brando plays uh, his dad, Jor-El. Anybody? No? 
What's that? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and Jorel, that's Marlon Brando. Oh, Considered the greatest actor of his generation. Just going to say that. Um, it would definitely be worth. A Streetcar Named Desire is amazing, and you should see it. Um, <sighs> Let's continue. All right. Yeah, Marlon Brando. I mean, I've seen his face before. He's right. Big very, very famous. He does, yes. Well, but, you know, I, I appreciate men with noble foreheads. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's move forward. Okay. So, Timothy, blah, blah, blah. Now we can actually start reading. Why did, why did, okay, why did we do that just then? Why did, why did I talk about who wrote it and who it was written to and what the point of the letter was? Anybody? Because you said there's theologians that think Paul did Well, that's true. Yes, I did. But, okay, here's the deal. This is a, this is a, go ahead. Define the historical background. Correct. Because this was a letter written from one person to another person at a specific time. We're reading someone else's mail. And to understand this letter, we need to know about the people that wrote, that we're writing to and from each other. Does that make sense? Paul has been Timothy's mentor now for many years. Timothy has grown, really grown up under Paul, in Paul's ministry. Paul mentions Timothy in six of his letters as being with him. When he's writing, Timothy and Paul are close, and Paul is his right-hand guy, and he has put Timothy in Ephesus. Go ahead. That's very possible, yes. Although, wasn't Paul beheaded? You mean earlier? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah, that's where Timothy was from, was, was Lystra. Or Derby, we're not sure, but they're in the same general vicinity. So, yes, Derby. Huh? Because he's been in it with Paul from the beginning. He's been there. I understand. You know, they're, they... they. In Paul's first trip through Lystra, he got stoned. And that doesn't mean he took drugs. He was... Rocks were thrown at his head until they thought he was dead. And he may have been, because then they got together around and prayed for him and... So, but Timothy was probably, we think, from Lystra. All right. Timothy's mom and grandma were Jews, but we don't know about his dad. Okay? They never talk about his dad. Paul doesn't talk about his dad. So, Timothy has been raised with a knowledge of the Old Testament through his mother and his grandmother, which is awesome. Some family, you know, whatever. And then they became Christians when Paul came and preached to them. In Lystra. All right. Verse 1. Now that we have all that background, we have 15 minutes to start. All right. Paul. <laughs> That's all right. It's all right. We, well begun is half done. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. I'm reading from the English Standard Translation, by the way. Uh, okay, Paul and Apostle. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're literally going to go verse by verse. This is what we do in this class. So just be ready to move slowly. 
Though I kind of hoped we'd get through most of chapter one today, but that's not going to happen. Um, a sent one. Okay, that's what apostle means. The word apostle means sent one. Does everybody know what an epistle is? A letter. Correct. A letter from? An epistle is specifically a letter from? An apostle. Very good. Okay, that's what these letters are. This is an epistle. It's a letter from an apostle. Yay! That's exciting, isn't it? Okay, so. <laughs> yes, you get brownie points. Um, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Uh, so he was sent by Jesus. Now, there were apostles and then there were apostles, okay? Jesus chose 12 that he that he called apostles. We know about them. Anybody know the song? There were 12 disciples. Jesus called to help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James' brother, John. Anybody? No? Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, that is Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. Okay, that's the 12. Okay, so (laughs) that's the 12 that Jesus chose. Obviously, Judas out of the picture, so they picked Matthias to be the next to step into his spot, right? You love Matthias? Why, Why do you love him? Right. Well, it's because we don't know anything about him. <laughs> we know he was with Jesus from the beginning. We know that he was chosen by Lot before the Holy Spirit came. That's the end of our knowledge about Matthias. Unless you, you, know, you can read some early church works like the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and then we find out how Matthias was killed because literally all of the 12, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. I don't remember, but literally all of the 12 original disciples other than John were killed for their faith. Um, And they really tried with John. It just didn't stick. Hey, you know, they boiled him in oil and he was just like, this is nice, guys. I appreciate this. This is great. All right. Paul... Obviously not chosen by Jesus originally, but chosen by Jesus later when he was on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocks him off his donkey and says, you're going to be a, an apostle, a sent one to the Gentiles. That's what I'm going to do with you, you Jew of the Jews. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And so that's what happened. He went to the Gentiles. But there are other people that Paul refers to as apostles that were not a part of the original twelve. So, and he talks about the gift of apostle, which is one of the office gifts that we learn about in Ephesians chapter four. Okay, that there's these other, there's these fivefold ministry gifts and one of them is apostle, right? And so, and he names other people that he calls apostles. So there were the original, there were, there were like the Jesus chosen apostles. And then there's other people that just like fulfilled the office of apostle at different times. The point is Paul was called by Jesus and sent by Jesus He's an apostle. We're not going to go into what apostle means because we're not teaching on the gifts of the Spirit right now. Jesus also sent the 72. So, uh, you know, maybe they were apostles too. And that's where, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But it does seem that the original 11 carried a higher authority, level of authority in the church. But then Paul is called. And Paul is recognized by the apostles in Jerusalem and blessed to go ahead and go out and do his work. Even though sometimes Paul and some of the 11 got a little snarky with each other. In the book of Galatians, Paul and Peter have a showdown. Which is 
kind of awesome. Which may be why the Acts 15 thing happened, but that's when I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so sent Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior. I really love this phrase, God our Savior. I really do. You want to know why? Because God's our Savior. That's important. Let's highlight this for a moment. When I say Savior, who do you think? Absolutely, and you should. Do we automatically think of God the Father as our Savior? No. But he was. He is, I should say. He is our Savior, just as the Holy Spirit is our Savior. Because God never does anything by it. As, as just one member of the Trinity, God, the mem- the, all members of the Trinity are in cooperation at all times in all things. You never find one without the other, really. Just looks like it. And it was God's idea anyway. What does John 3.16 say, somebody? For who so loved the world? Hey, there you go. (laughs) Whose idea was this? So any theology that would tell you that Jesus was like protecting you from his, you know, angry father (laughs) is bad theology. Bad, bad theology. Jesus is not protecting us from, the, from uh, a, a ticked off dad. No, 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 no. This was God the Father's idea. Salvation was God's idea. Was just as much in the heart of the Father as it was in the heart of Jesus. Jesus isn't the like nice part of God that wants to forgive you. And then God the Father is the mean part of God that wants to pour out wrath and judgment. I think we think sometimes that, in the, that the Old Testament is about God the Father who is kind of grumpy. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, it's cool. I'll talk to dad. It's all going to be fine. Right? No. Wrong. Eh. That's not how it works. God is God. Jesus reveals the father. If, it, if we see it in Jesus, that's how the father is. God is our savior and that's important. Are you all with me? Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Go ahead. I can't stop thinking of Luke satire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and it happens a lot. Uh, It happens a lot, a lot. Um, It isn't that we would ever explicitly say that God's the old ticked-off guy in the sky. It's just that we kind of think of him as that. And I don't want you to think of him as that. Well, I've thought of him as that. When I read some of the stuff in the Old Testament, and I'm like, I'm like, geez, God has anger issues. (laughs) Right? No, wrong. Wrong. It's not true. God was as much a part of this as anybody. All right. And and Christ Jesus, our hope. The Messiah Jesus. Christ means Messiah, our hope. Obviously, he is verse two. We made it to verse two. Woo! Hey, congratulations. What an achievement. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. We already talked about all that. Paul's backing him up. Whatever. And then we find Paul's normal greeting. Well, basically, usually he just says grace and peace. But today he says grace, mercy, and peace. 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the greeting. Now, this is why that's the greeting. Paul, everywhere he's going, is talking to two, pe- two groups of people, former Jews who have now become followers of Jesus and Gentiles who have become followers of Jesus. Peace, shalom, is the Hebrew greeting. With me? Okay. But Gentiles are way more jiving with that grace stuff. Right? So grace and peace. That's why he, just, he says, I'm just going to use a bow. Grace and peace to all y'all. So I often say that to people. Grace and peace to you. As I'm walking out and people look at me like I'm a crazy person. I'm just trying to be like Paul, man. Just trying to be like Paul. That's what I told my mom when I told her I wanted to get an earring right here. I was like, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. Because he was a bond slave to Christ. And that's where the slave earring went. And mom was like, no. Mm-hmm. I never did it. No, nope, never did it. I did get a tattoo, but that was much later. It is the Tetragrammaton. It's the, the four letter name of God uh, over a Trinitarian symbol. Think of that yourself? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it's, you know, there, I can't remember where the scripture is. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says they will write on their hand the Lord's. And so that's what, I, that's my biblical, uh, my, my, my biblical excuse for having a tattoo. <laughs> when I was 30 years old, my brother, who just moved away, you guys know Caleb, right? Yeah. Caleb Hawkins, um, or who's moving. He really wanted to get a tattoo. It was his 18th birthday. So I said, let's go together. So he got the, the name of God right here on his finger. And I got it right here. And I paid for his. And, and we're actually there about to get tattoos. And my mom calls to talk to me about Caleb's birthday party, which was later that night. And I was like, I got to go. They're going to start my tattoo. And she was like, you're really doing that? And then she said, I hope it hurts like heck. <laughs> that, that's woof. It's hardcore from my mom. That's like almost swearing. All right. Hope it hurts like heck. It wasn't bad. All right. As verse three. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So that's, that's Timothy's job, right? Timothy, stay here and make sure nobody is teaching any different doctrine. Keep them on the straight and narrow, right? I don't want them going off and doing a bunch of other stuff, okay? This is his mission. And that's, this is also Paul giving Timothy permission in this letter to correct some of the other folks that are going to hear this letter read. Does that make sense? Hey, I left Timothy there to keep you in line because I know you're going to go off and you're going to teach about some other random stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel. Timothy's here to come in and say, eh, nope, you can't teach on that. That's not the good stuff. That's what he's been told to do. He's been charged. He's been told to charge certain persons. I love that. Certain persons. They know exactly who he's talking about, by the way. When I was in Master's Commission, 
we used to have what we called care group where we would talk about stuff that was going on, but we ended up calling it tear group because we would be like, I really don't like it when certain people leave their yogurt out on the counter for whatever, you know, right? Does that make sense? This is the Apostle Paul going, certain people, you know who you are from teaching different doctrines. Right? Someone leaving yogurt out at your guys' house? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it's like, right? I do. Like, yes. Just the terror group, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It got really bad. We had to stop doing it. It's like, we can't do terror group anymore because it's just really bad. It's just... <laughs> it wasn't adding to our unity. And we didn't live together like you guys do. I can't imagine. <clears throat> So there it is. That's what is it. Okay, and not only is he saying don't teach bad stuff, he is actually saying only teach the good stuff. There's a difference. Okay, not only is Paul telling them don't teach stuff that isn't true, but he's also telling them only teach the most important things. Keep to the essentials, guys. Don't go wandering off on other stuff that may or may not be true, but whether it's true or not, it's not helpful. Now, can I say this to you? Paul was probably talking specifically about teaching around the Nephilim. He probably was. I'm not kidding. We know that because of later on he talks about genealogies and whatever. And Ross. I miss Ross. Every class he would ask me about the Nephilim. Every class. And I didn't talk about it until the very last class we did was, about, was the Nephilim. By the way, if you... What's that? Maybe you should start with it. Too late. Well, here's the deal, okay? We've been teaching on, I've been teaching on prayer at my church, and I just taught Daniel 10 about Daniel's fast, and then there's that whole business about Michael and the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's Daniel 10. Go check it out. And, uh, and I said, I didn't want to teach on the invisible realm and that gets into the Nephilim stuff on a Sunday morning. So I spent hours and hours making YouTube videos that were explainers on all that stuff. And I told my church, I was like, if you want to know about all this stuff, you can go to that video. It's actually three videos and will be five when I'm finished. That lays out this whole thing on the invisible world. If you want to look it up, you can just look up Fremont Community Church, go to our YouTube channel, and you can watch right now. There's about three hours worth of content out there. I already did. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was, I was thinking of him the whole time. In fact, I think I even said hi to him in one of the videos. Like, I know you're out there, Ross. And I, and I, I sent him a link to that video, to that series. Because, because I, it's his, like, his favorite thing. But uh, no, I already said it to him. Who was it the year before that that was asking about it? Oh, I don't know. Everybody asked about it. It was like, why you started talking about it? And then the whole next year, it was just Ross was on it. I think it was Judah. Yeah, probably. It may have been. What we cannot see. Yeah, yeah. What we cannot see. There's three videos. There's a playlist on my, of what we cannot see. And you can, right now, we've gone all the way up through the Old Testament. We're done with the Old Testament. Now I'm going to start with Jesus and the church. So it's fun stuff, but it's not the main and the plane. It's not the core doctrine. It's stuff we like to think about and kind of like, I love talking about it. Like, wasn't that, that fascinating? But it's not, we don't build our lives on this. Yeah, it's Bible, but it's 
It's not the, the important stuff. The only reason it's even in the Bible is because they have to tell us a little bit about it so that, we, so that we're on track with what else is going on at the time. Okay? So we're not going to get sidetracked. We're till 1230, right? Yep. Is that right? Okay. So he says, don't teach bad stuff, but also teach the best of the good stuff. That's what we're looking for. We don't want to go off into the weeds. So here's my question, and this is, gonna, this, this is probably where we'll finish for today, maybe. Um, I want to know from you, what's on that list? The best of the good stuff. What's the stuff that Paul would have told Timothy, that's what I want you to focus on? What do you think? Yeah, you think? Yeah. What else? Prayer. Maybe, sure. Like, what are these doctrines that What do you think? Come on, everybody, throw Passing. something out there. Passing. Maybe. Can you ask the question again? What? What? Okay, Paul says to Timothy, "I put you there." to make sure that nobody's teaching anything like wasting the church's time by teaching stuff that's not important, okay? So what is important? Maybe we should start with the other. What's not important? I already, I already mentioned the Nephilim. What else is not important? What else is something that we don't want to waste our corporate time on? You can say the Enneagram if you want. I know, I knew that's what was in your head. No, I, I, no, I went back to this guy that's back home at my church. Oh, yeah? yeah? What is it? Hellfire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know that Paul never even mentions hell in the entire New Testament? Jesus did. Paul did. He never even mentions it. Not one time. That's interesting. So maybe we shouldn't be teaching on it either. What else is not necessary? I would say Enneagram fits in that, in that group. I really would. I think the Enneagram's great. I love it. I, 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 I think it's really interesting and useful. I don't think, but, but it's not the word of God. You know, I think it's helpful information, but it's not the word of God. So I'm not going to preach on the Enneagram on a Sunday. No way. Now, we did do like a class that you could sign up and you could go and be, be a part of the class that was separate, a different time. And I do that often. A lot of times that's what I use videos for now. Like this, like this series on what we cannot see. I think this is interesting stuff, and I actually do think it's important, but it's not something I want to spend a Sunday morning on. Does that make sense? I get, I get those folks for one hour every week. Fox News gets them for how many hours every week? I get them for one hour every week, and that's to teach them the kingdom of heaven. I am not going to waste time on Enneagram or... You know, the spiritual realm, I don't have time for that. I've got this little, little window. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yes. What else? What else is not important but gets taught? What else isn't the main in the plane but we spend time on it? It's okay. I won't tell anybody you said anything. No, really, though. I want to know. What do you think? Come on, Flint. I know you got something there, man. Improve your earthly life. Oh, well, that's a good question. But what does that mean? How to improve your earthly life? Like what? I go further than that. Five steps to a better marriage. 
That's actually in my notes. <laughs> yeah. That or like obviously prosperity. <laughs> yeah. That's just straight heresy. Let's not even I'm not even talking about heresy. I'm just talking about worthless stuff we spend our life on. We spend our church time on. Anybody else? Now let me tell you, this is what I this is what me personally. I only spend time on Sunday mornings on Sermon on the Mount stuff. Not necessarily preaching from the Sermon on the Mount, but Sermon on the Mount stuff and the stuff that Paul calls the gospel. Which, by the way, they're the same thing. But that's all I spend my time on. Want to know why? Because it's the most important thing I can give you. Which is why we spent all of last year in the Sermon on the Mount. This is... Matthew taking all the different sermons that he himself heard Jesus preach and putting them all in one spot. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he says, these are the teachings of Jesus. This is Christianity 101, right? So I teach Sermon on the Mount stuff, which is prayer and fasting and giving and kindness to one another and not judging. And all, that's all of that, okay? It's the Beatitudes, See, there, I'm, I'm good. That's good. Yeah. Well, Paul spends time in three different letters on spiritual gifts. So I did a, I did a 10-week series on spiritual gifts as well. Uh, but that I did because I teach Sunday mornings, and then I have a Wednesday night Bible study, which is online. I don't even know. Uh, people, people were watching online. They weren't showing up to the building, so I just went online. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, but what's that? The Bible study? or No, I didn't go online until COVID. No. We had nothing, no video online at all until COVID. I had to learn how to do all that. How do you do that? That was like 30 seconds before a possible sneeze and you're already over there like winding up. That's amazing. I, I never have any knowledge whatsoever that I'm about to sneeze until it's happening. It's just all of a sudden out of nowhere. <laughs> That's usually how mine are, but sometimes, like, there might be something up in my nose that's giving me a little tickle, and so I'll, like, breathe in and out like this, so I can just sneeze. That's a fascinating look into your life, man. I have to look at a light. If I'm not looking at a light, I just Look at a light? Yes. Yeah, or looking at the sky. That is really interesting. You like sniff? I don't know. So you're trying to sneeze? Like, I don't try and sneeze. It just happens. It's like, ah! Just, just, just. So Hits people, me. It, you have to look at like it like because the nerves, right? I don't know what it is. But the nerves <laughs> well, bleed together. It's real because me and Sam, when we were at um, CWS, CWS oh we, we we got showed this extra way we could go to get where we need to go between yes. like, these two kitchens, right? And you had to go outside on this little like big old balcony area, and every single time we'd go out there, he just. It just starts yeah. sneezing. I'm like, dude, he's like, I'm allergic sneezes. to the sun. <laughs> it's like the nerves right here and the nerves, the nerves in your nose and the nerves in your eyes will like bleed together or something. And it, it doesn't working. happen. Trying to make it happen. It's not going to happen. Anyway. All right. So what are, what is the, what's the important stuff? Come on. And so uh, non-important stuff and then important stuff. Timothy was, that was his job. 
because there were other people teaching there, and that's great. And Timothy's job was to keep everybody teaching the important stuff and not teaching the not important stuff. So what was what was in Timothy's list? For me, it's Sermon on the Mount stuff and stuff Paul spent serious time on in his letters. That's the only stuff I'll teach. I really rarely, I, I will use the Old Testament as illustration, but I rarely teach the Old Testament. I rarely do. What's that? Absolutely. But I would consider that, I would consider that Sermon on the Mount stuff. I really would. I think Paul gets a lot of the fruit of the Spirit right from Sermon on the Mount. I think Paul was, Paul knew Jesus' teachings really well, and Paul teaches Jesus' teachings really well. But you have to, you have to have an eye out for it, because he doesn't use the same words Jesus used. That's partially because the Gospels weren't written when Paul was writing his letters. All of Paul's letters were written before the Gospels were written. Think about that for a minute. Pretty much. Like, uh, like you mentioned, Acts leaves off with him in prison in Rome, and he had to have written letters before that. But Acts right. is a prequel to Luke. Well, not yeah, but that's that just means that Luke ended his story there. That doesn't mean Paul had it in his hands. Yeah. And, and we don't think that Luke was written until after Paul's death. Most, most Bible scholars put the Gospels all, or, all kind of in the 50s and 60s. And Paul died in 67. So Paul may never, Paul may have never, uh, well, I just last night I read it was 67, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, but Paul may have never read any of the Gospels. It's entirely possible that he never did. Um, and he um, certainly never quotes any of them. Since, since Luke, leave, since Acts is, was written after Luke, mm-hmm. and Acts was finished before his death, and unless, even if that was the first gospel, then at least one would have been. Right. Well, and Mark was the first gospel. The earliest date, the earliest date anybody gives to Mark is in the, the late 40s. And most scholars would say that's not true. Most scholars would put it much later than that. Anyway, the one th- okay, I am in a class right now on the book of Revelation with the foremost Johannian scholar in the world, which is really cool. He's an Eastern Orthodox guy. Anyway, and he said Revelation was written in the 60s and the book of John was written in the 90s, which I'm really interested in. And he's quoting Irenaeus, Polycarp, some of these guys that were like students of John. Uh, when he says that, which I had, I did not think about that. That Revelation would predate the Book of John, especially because he wrote it while he was on the island of Patmos. Right, but he didn't die there. He left the island of Patmos in the in probably either late fifties, early sixties, and then the the Gospel of John wasn't written until his very late life, like right before he died. Anyway, let's continue. Here's how we know. We have three minutes, and we're going to start this, and then and, and we'll leave it till next time. But here's how we know. Here's how we know what the important stuff is. Are you ready? It's right here. Paul tells us. It's this. Verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. That's how we know. 
Okay, what does that mean? That's always your goal. Yeah. Love is always your goal. Love is the goal. Anything that's not serving the purpose of teaching God's people how to love God and love other humans is not important. (laughs) That's what Paul is trying to say. What we're trying to do is teach people how to love. That's what we're trying to do. Love God and love people. That's what we're trying to do. At the end of the day, that's what we're looking for. We want to teach people how to love. Right? The aim of our charge is love. And he talks about that a little more. But what are you doing? <laughs> oh, did <laughs> So now we're going to talk about the Nephilim. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, so the end of our charge is love. We're only gonna we're only gonna preach about what's gonna lead people to love. That's what we're here to do. The gospel will produce love. And if love is not coming out of your heart, you've not believed the gospel. Hear me? That's the reality. How do we know? First John tells us, how do we know that we are really saved? How do we know that Jesus has done his work in our hearts? How do we know? This is how we know. Love. That's how we know. When we love our enemies, well, that's what, that's what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard's a good, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite folks. And what he says is the real test of whether or not Christ's likeness has been formed in the human heart is do you love your enemies? It's easy to love people that love you. Do you love your enemies? That's the real question. God is super easy to love. And people that love me are pretty easy to love. But do you love your enemies? That's what we're after. So that's what we're going to teach. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Teach the things that lead to love, period. Anything else is worthless. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, we're done. Enjoy your lunch.